Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. This has been a cool encouragement time for me already, um, just to hear your prayers, uh, just to be welcomed here. Uh, with open arms. Uh, thank you guys for being such a great body and encouragement to me. Uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, I really appreciate Jeff for inviting me here. Uh, Jeff and I go a few years back and everything. Uh, I knew him when I was a student and just got to learn from him a little bit and be encouraged by him. And then when I came back to be the BCM director, he welcomed me with open arms. as like, what do we got to do to reach college students? And that's what I love to do. So a little bit about me. So as he said, I'm the BCM director. Most of you guys have heard that over and over again. Many of you guys help out with our Monday lunches, and thank you for that. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about PSC and the need for that. But first of all, just thank you. Um, so a little bit of my story and everything. I grew up in a Christian home with loving grandparents, never met my father. My mom was here and there when it came to the church stuff. And so I came to saving faith at six years old. I knew that I was desperate for a savior. I knew that I had sinned and had gone against God. And I knew that Jesus Christ came and died for me, rose again so I can have life with him. Through that time, my grandparents continued to take me to church. They continued to show me what it looked like to be a believer in Christ. And I loved them for that. But over time... As some of you may know, having kids, I started to not like having my grandparents around as much. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to live for myself. I wanted to get all the glory, all the fame, whatever that looked like. To the point to when I got to high school and just really did whatever I wanted to. I did not like having uh, my parents tell me what to do. I did not like being told what to do in school. Uh, I had great grades. I was head of wrestling team and everything, had everything that I could have possibly wanted, but it wasn't for the Lord. Instead of turning to my grandparents for wisdom and advice in my life, I turned to my friends. I watched what they did and wanted to copy that. Some of them went to church, but they didn't live as believers because they were also influenced by others. After that time, at the end of my high school career, I had a career-ending injury to my shoulder, to where it's still messed up to this day and will be. And after that, the Lord really continued just to throw consequence after consequence to me, to where I came to my lowest point, and I didn't know where to go. Until someone came up to me and said, you've been a Christ follower your whole life. You just turned away from him. I still went to church, still did the Christianese things, right? But I wasn't solely living for the Lord. I was living for myself. And in that time, I had eventually graduated, went to college, and the Lord was still working my life of, you've got to live solely for me. You've got to do what I intend for you to do. And when I got to college, I joined BCM, quickly became president and intern and everything. But it was during BCM where the Lord really tweaked my life entirely again where he said, you've been living for yourself, but now it's time to actually do ministry. So I get to share my faith over and over and over again on a mission trip. 
And then as time went on, I continued to serve in BCM and continued to serve in my church, which was Hillcrest at the time. And during that time, I met a guy named Rob Brooks. And Rob invited me to his home one summer and just spent time with me. I would get up in the morning and see him on his knees praying and worshiping the Lord. I would see him reading his Bible in the morning or when he got back home. I got to watch how he treated his wife as an example. I got to see how he nurtured his kids and taught them what it looked like to be a believer in Christ. I enjoyed my time in BCM, and my major was practically BCM, being the intern and president and everything. But it was that summer learning from an older gentleman in the church that really shaped who I am today. That's what I needed was the church. And so we're going to spend some time talking about how that looks uh, when it comes to college students especially. So we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the reality of where we're at, of where college students are at. We're going to look at the mission, and we're going to look at the answer. Sound good? So first we're going to look at Proverbs 13.20. Just real quick to look at the reality of what's going on. This verse became a very helpful point for me as I graduated college or graduated high school and was figuring out like I needed wiser people around me and not just my age group. Proverbs 13, 20 says, the one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Now, why is this the reality of where we're at? The college campus is almost like its own city, right? secluded up in Ferry Pass. You've got food there. You've got living arrangements. You've got everything you need in one concentrated area. The only problem is the only residents are college students. I like to go around and tell them it's the fools leading the fools. No offense to any college students here, but we're not as wise as we think. We may know good bits of wisdom, but when it comes to myself versus my grandpa, who's 70 years old, he's much wiser because he's lived longer. He's seen more things. He's walked with God longer. So the college campus, unfortunately, looks like the fool leading the fool. They need interactions with the wise or they will suffer harm. Which sounds kind of dramatic at first, but when you go on campus and when you see students making decisions that you know aren't right, you know that what they're doing is going to lead them down a path that's going to hurt them. We see the reality of this, that the one who walks with the wise will become wise. Because the more you're with them, the more you set the example, the wiser you become. But a companion of fools will suffer harm. That's the reality that we live in, unfortunately. That's why they need you guys. But before we get to that, let's get to the mission, right? The mission is college students. That's what I'm here to do. So I work for the Florida Baptist Convention, and I am here to serve churches in the area to reach college students. I don't create a separate ministry uh, for college students. I'm here to help you guys reach college students and to create ministries for them, right? Uh, it's not my little home, right? It's for you guys. I am the campus missionary to help bridge the door for you. Okay, so that means BCM is not my ministry, but it's your ministry. And it's up to each and every one of you to do your part. That doesn't mean leave whatever ministry you're part of now, right? 
but that could also mean you invite a college student into the ministry that you're serving in. So we're going to talk a little bit about that with college students. Last year, fall 2021, just for a little numbers perspective, right? Because we see this group of people here, and we're like, man, this is awesome, this is great. But think of this number. 13,000 students attended University of West Florida last fall. 13,000. Could you imagine 13,000 college students in here? It wouldn't even fit. It wouldn't even make sense, right? That's just from last fall. This fall already, we've seen a huge increase of students. There's so many students around campus, it's absolutely unreal. But that's just one of my campuses, right? At PSC, there's another eight to 10,000 students there. Brought, uh, brought along to different campuses, of course, like you've got the PSC Milton campus, you've got the one in Pensacola, you've got the one in Warrington. So there's different campuses, right? But it's still in our area. We're also looking at reaching Northwest Florida State College, because right now, there's hardly any gospel conversations going on there. There is no one desperately trying to reach college students there. There's another about 10 to 12,000 students there. That is so many students without the gospel who are desperately needing something else. They're all looking for something, but we have the answer of Jesus Christ. And how bad it is on us to not want to share that answer to those thousands of students who desperately need it. Last year, we had 38% of students online. So that's students that are still in the area that are just online that aren't having interactions with people. That can be very difficult. I don't know about you, but I can't survive on my own. I'm a little bit of an introvert, but I need people too. Also, 61% of students are female. I'm a guy. I can't reach females the same way that y'all ladies can. We desperately need more ladies on campus reaching college students, inviting them into their home, showing them what it looks like to be a godly wife, godly female. Because I can't do that the same way. That doesn't work that way. Um, also, 60% of students are from Northwest Florida. So from this area, 60% of students are. Many of them have grown up in church. Many of them have been hurt by the church, unfortunately. So many of them are in our back doors. We have so many students that actually come from Gulf Breeze, but may have never even heard of Story Point Baptist Church. We have many students who are from uh, McDavid, from these little itty-bitty towns all over, and they're looking for people to invest in them. They don't need the biggest college ministry. They just want interaction with the body of Christ to be mentored. Also, when we talk about college students, we think of missions, we think of missionaries and everything, right? I want to tell you that the mission is here. The world has come to University of West Florida. Last year, we had 92 countries represented at University of West Florida. 92. You don't have to pay thousands of dollars to go on a mission trip anymore. You can come right over to me on my campus, and you can reach five countries in one day. How cool is that? You don't get that opportunity just anywhere. You don't have to go and walk 500 miles around to these little villages, but you've got these groups of students on campus that are desperately wanting to hear more about American culture. And then we can also share the love of Jesus Christ with them. Some of the countries represented is like Brazil, Canada, India, Germany, UK, Vietnam, France. So many more, 92 countries. And we talk about the 1040 window when it comes to missions with IMB that is completely unreached or very hard to reach. Many of the countries that are represented at UWF are from the 1040 window. 
So how encouraging is it if we can share our faith with those students, they become believers in Christ, and take that to their nations? So when we talk about reaching college students, we're not talking about just reaching University of West Florida. We're talking about reaching the whole world because that's what college students have the capability to do because they're there for four years, sometimes five or six. Some of them have the little struggles and that's okay, but they're there and they leave anywhere in the world. So we have a unique time to invest in them, to show them what the love of Christ is and how to walk as a believer before they go to the ends of the earth. And that's what we're called to do. College students, there's kind of three things we look at when we think of a college student. The first is this is a pivotal time in their life, right? They're making new decisions that they've never had to make before. Many of them call it adulting. Uh, they're figuring out what does it look like to be an adult? What does it look like to have my own insurance, to buy my own card, how to take care of a vehicle, how to take care of an apartment or a house, whatever they may look like. They're making those decisions for the first time. And unfortunately, many of them aren't taught how to do that until college. Many of their parents, maybe if, even if they have parents, uh, maybe they're on their own, maybe they have great parents, but they cared for them, but didn't teach them anything, unfortunately. That's how it goes sometimes. As well as just parents who don't spend time with their kids. But then we have the church. This is also a time where they're figuring out how to have a good job, where to go to to search for that, how to create a resume, how to have good interviews, as well as watching a good, godly marriage. What does marriage look like? How do I pursue someone else? You don't always get that. You can hand them a book to do it, but that doesn't always go well sometimes. For one, most college students don't like to read, right? But two, it needs to be an example. It needs to be modeled. And then number three, and this is the biggest one, students are more lonely than ever. Anxiety and depression has run rampant these past few years, especially amongst college students because they're not taught how to live accordingly. They're getting thrown into college and said, all right, figure out life, hope it goes well. And there's a big fear of either missing out on cool opportunities or failing. So many of my students don't want to fail in life. They would rather just give up on whatever they're doing than actually try hard and persevere. And if they do fail, it's like, oh, I can never do this. And so they're done. They need that perseverance trait. We've seen on campus during my years, for example, uh, in 2017 when I graduated, we would see about one or two suicide attempts or threats on campus. Nowadays, it's almost every other week that a student is threatening their own life or actually doing it. That's terrifying, but it comes from this loneliness that they feel. They may have other college students hanging around with them and everything every once in a while, but they still feel this loneliness inside of them, and they're desperately looking for something. And we know his name is Jesus Christ. And that happens through the context of the local church. That's the mission that we've been given to reach college students, to help them in their loneliness as they're away from home in their pivotal time of life. So the answer is not just some four-step plan to make them a great person. The answer is for the church to go to the campus, to go to the students and invite them in to share Jesus Christ with them. Not to share what it looks like just to be a good person. What it looks like to mean be godly, to be like Christ. 
So the answer is you, the church. Look at me with Titus 2. We're going to plant a lot of time here. Titus 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. I hear a lot of flipping, so I'll wait a few seconds. Titus 2, starting in verse 1, says, But you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible and sound in faith, love, and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good, so they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. To be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands, so that God's word will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach, so that any opponent will, not, will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. This is God's word. Here, Paul is painting a picture of what real Christian community looks like. So Paul's encouraging Titus what it looks like because he's, Titus is a young minister trying to figure out what this looks like, right? So Paul is giving him this painting of intergenerationals going from the youngest to the oldest. That's what we need in the church. I see those generations here. But then we have to take another step of, is it discipling relationships, or is it just, hey, young sport, how's it going? Or is the young people just looking to the old people like, what are, what are they doing? What's going on here? It doesn't really work the same way. Paul's painting a beautiful picture of what biblical community looks like. So number one, he shows them that older men and older women are teaching younger men and younger women respectively. This doesn't mean you have to be some master teacher who's up on stage teaching every week. This means that you can invite them to your home, you can invite someone to coffee, and show what Scripture teaches. You don't need a seminary degree for that, right? It's the Holy Spirit that teaches and guides us. So we have to be dependent on the Lord, and then we can teach others. And think about it this way as well, is if when Jeff comes up and teaches every week, you've been given something that you can now teach others. That's what disciple-making really looks like, is continuing to pass it on to person, to person, to person. So you don't have to have the whole Bible memorized before you start teaching. You can start teaching right after this. You're good to go. You're trained up, right? So that's older men and older women teaching younger men and younger women. Number two, younger people are seeking out the advice of older people. So many times I hear older people say, college students don't want anything to do with this. Don't listen to that lie. Some of them may not, but the ones who really care about Jesus, the ones who really want to make Jesus known, they desperately want your advice. They desperately want to learn what a godly marriage looks like. They desperately want to learn what it looks like to be faithful in their career. They want to learn from you, the church. But they need people to do it. That's the one thing. 
I can talk about reaching college students to the staff and pastors all day. But most of the time, students go and visit that church because they love that pastor or college pastor, whoever it is. And they're like, I enjoyed the worship service, but I didn't have any community there. No one wanted to invest in me. How sad is that when we send students to churches and the church isn't ready to disciple? That's the difficulty that we have and that we get faced with every day. For an example of numbers, we have about 120 students that come to our weekly service every Thursday night. 120 students. Many of them go off to visit churches, but many of them come back and go like, I tried to talk to someone about discipleship, but no one wanted to mentor me. Man, how tough when we've got so many students who are desperate for that, but no one really wants to take the time to do it. And I can tell you, it does take time, right? It's not just uh, saying hello to them, greeting them, and being like, all right, hope you figure it out, the rest of it. It does take a little bit of time of, let me listen to, to how your week went. Let me listen to you about complaining about your professors or something. But that's okay. But that's a humility level, this character that it's talking about here in Titus that we need to have to be self-controlled, right? Thirdly, older people are setting an example to younger people. That's the whole part of inviting them in. To, to know that college students can actually look up to someone and say, like, I trust them. I want to be someone like them. I think of guys in my life who uh, I see, even like Jeff Spooniebarger, man, he's legit. He's a wild dude sometimes, but he's legit, right? Um, but that's someone that you want to be like, right? You don't want to follow someone who's just an old fuddy-duddy, just like, oh, yeah, back in my day, we did this and this. Yeah, no, that doesn't go over well. You want someone who's worried about them. We want to see someone who's worried about the college students, who wants to see how their life is going, who wants to see like, hey, don't make this mistake that I did when I was your age, right? Not to say you have to tell them what to do over and over and over again, but just to listen and be there for them because they want that example. And then fourthly, younger people are submitting to the direction of older people. So many times I hear older people say like, oh, those young guys just want to do whatever they want to. And they do most of the time because they don't have those people to look up to. They, sub they have to submit or else they won't make it in life, right? So many of them are just, as what Saga was saying, of just, they're looking for the next fun thing. They're looking for uh, whatever opportunity they have for themselves. They don't like to submit. But when you've got great godly people who are invested and care for them, they're going to submit. They're going to help out and do whatever you need them to do. It's such a cool sight when I visit some of these churches and you've got the older people just spending time with younger people. Younger people are just running around rampant. They're sharing their faith. They're helping out in the church. They're helping out with the kids ministry. Wherever you need them, they are a great, great workforce in the church, which is oftentimes what we need. We don't need people just to go around telling people what to do. We need people that are active laborers in their faith. That's what college students can provide. It's incredible to watch what they do. I don't know if you guys know this, but last March uh, for spring break, we had about 30 to 40 students right out here removing all of the brush and trees from that area. 30 to 40 college students. And we're talking about even including like fraternities and stuff. So college students care about the church. But the most info impactful part of that time was people like Jeff and a few others from this church who came out to encourage those students. 
Man, they loved it. They loved just getting to hear like what they're doing is good, hard work. That goes a long way. We're going to do that again in March, by the way, um, just for you to know. So uh, looking at another passage of Scripture, Ephesians 4.16 says, From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. So for this to look like the body of Christ, every single person has to do their part who's in Christ. If you're missing something, that hurts the whole body. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Everyone has their part to play. Not just in reaching college students, but we're talking about in general. Whether it be encouragement ministry, whether it be praying for one another, whether it be kids ministry, student ministry, worship ministry, tech Everyone has a job and a role to play in the body of Christ to help it grow and mature to what God has called us to do. But some people may feel inadequate of, well, I'm not a teacher, I'm not an evangelist, but it's the whole body. Even the little pinky toe is important, y'all. So invest in them too. Every piece does its part to the body. Just like how if you're missing one part of your body, it affects everything else. If, like if you're missing your big toe, I heard that you can actually lose your balance on things. That's not a good time. There's some people who already have bad balance. We don't want them missing a toe either. So we have to have the whole body working together. So how does this actually look like in the body of Christ? We've talked about discipleship a lot and what that kind of is, but how does this actually play out, right? For one, when college students come in, welcome them with open arms, but don't stop there. You want to welcome them and bring them in. But don't just stop and say, all right, you're good to go. He's in, they're in church. They're saved. We're good. No, we want to bring them into maturity. We want them to be useful to Christ. So ask them to help serve with whatever you're doing. Invite them into your home. Invite them to coffee. Invite them somewhere. And so many times we hear like, this is 30 minutes from campus, right? So one of the questions is, will college students drive to Story point, because it's 30 minutes away. What if we flipped that conversation and said, what would it take for me to drive to UWF and pick up five to 10 college students? Many college students don't have a vehicle. Many college students aren't going to take the trek unless we go and take them with us. I have a student who's actually doing a training with uh, a lot of our leadership students on that exact thing of how to invite someone to your church. You don't walk up to them, hand them a little flyer and say, I hope you come next week. You say, hey, man, I would love to take you out to coffee this week and talk about our church a little bit. Hey, man, I will give you a ride personally to church this week. Or if they have a car and they want to make the drive, say, I have a seat waiting for you. And I would love to show you how to get involved in the community more. But it's not just a one and done thing of inviting them. All right, good to go. It is a process for every person that it takes to do this. This isn't just college students. This is anyone. How to really do ministry takes time to invest in someone. Because it's not a ministry of just empty numbers. We're talking about people. People who are loved by God. Who are made in the image of God. And it's our job to help them with that. So talking about discipleship, 
Most of the time when we talk about discipleship, people think of D groups, they think of small groups, they think of just coming to the weekly worship gathering. And that is good. And that is a part of it. But discipling also happens in the context of everyday life with the Christian family, which is the church. So many times students go to church, just like maybe some people here, they come to church, but the rest of the week, they may not live for Christ. Or they want to, but they don't really know what that looks like because they don't have an example set before them. So those organized meetings, those are good and helpful for teaching, but you have to have both. One of my favorite quotes when it comes to discipleship is, more is caught than taught. I can learn more by watching someone than I can for them just to tell me what to do, just to teach me how to do it. So even now, I can be teaching, but it's more fruitful when you're watching someone actually invites a college student into their life. It's more fruitful for you to actually see me grabbing a student and teaching them how to walk accordingly. So I wish we could do that right now, but for where we're at, um, this is good. But it also means that we have to be an active listener to the student. Because again, they don't want to just be told what to do with everything. Guide the students in what it looks like to live a godly life. Don't just tell them. They need the guidance, the step-by-step process of what to do. And like I said, you don't need to be a professional, ordained, or have a seminary degree to make disciples. Jesus gave the call in Matthew 28 to make disciples of all nations to all believers. But I also want to give you the encouragement that at the end of Matthew 28, it says, I will be with you to the end of age. So if you feel inadequate when it comes to discipling, if you feel like, I really don't know what to do, Jesus Christ himself has said he's with you to the end of the age. He will guide you. He will tell you what to do. But it's up to us to lean on him, to turn away from our own sin, our own selfishness, and run to Christ and everything that we do. Desperate for him to teach us how to live accordingly. Because in Titus 2, it talks about how high our character should be, right? For uh, older men, it says to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not slaves to excessive drinking. Those are some big words going on here. But we need to be living that out if we really want to reach cautions, to do ministry effectively, to be the body of Christ that we're called to be. So we have to set an example. We invite them into our home so they can see the flaws as well. So many times... Uh, I see couples who invite students in their home, and they make it super gorgeous in there. Not to say that having a clean home is bad, but let them see the flaws too. They need to know what it looks like to have genuine conflict in marriage. They need to know what it looks like to know, like, you don't have it all together, so neither do they. Because they see things on social media to where everyone is perfect. They need to see people who are broken and in desperate need for a Savior. So take them to lunch, do things together, have fun with them. Guys, college students are fun people. This should not be a burden to want to reach college students. They bring so much energy and life to the conversation. So take joy in that. That may even help you out in your own walk, being able to disciple someone else. But again, if you feel discouraged or if you feel like this is just weighty, look with me at verse 11 in Titus 2. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. God desires all to come to salvation. He made a way through Jesus Christ for us to have salvation. Not just so we can be good people, for his own possession. And because of that, because we've been saved by Jesus Christ, we are eager to do what he's called us to do. Eager to do good works in his name. That's the kind of Christianity that we get to be a part of. That's the Jesus that we get to follow. The one who came, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross for our sins and rose again so we may have new life. That's the Jesus we serve. I am thankful for that Jesus. And so now I have the cool opportunity to serve college students and churches like you left and right. Because I want to see more students come to salvation. I want to see more students go from death to life. But that comes through our obedience to open our mouths to confess that Jesus is Lord. So I want to pray for us, but I want you guys to really think about responding to either serving college students, serving more in the church. Some of you may need to just get right with the Lord right here, right now, and just say, I want that Jesus that he's talking about. So let me pray for you guys. Father, we love you because you first loved us. Father, you sent your son for us thousands of years ago so that we may have life. And God, because of that newfound life, may we be found obedient. May we be found faithful because, God, the, the need is there. There are thousands of students who don't know you, who are desperately looking for good in their life, who are desperately looking for something that sustains, for something that satisfies. And God, we know that is you. God, you are faithful. You satisfy every desire that we have. God, may we turn from our sinful ways and chase after you, bringing along college students with us to teach and instruct them and to encourage them to do likewise. God, thank you for uh, this day. Thank you for this church. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.org.